0: Escucha, Listen, aprende, learn, y emprende.
2: Launch. Bienvenidos al episodio 137 de Latino Founder Hour. Los saluda Edgar Navas, fundador de Clica. Hoy viernes 3 de noviembre, ya increíble que se, se nos va el, el año, pero no, no 3, 11 de noviembre. Eh, estamos ya cerrando el año y bueno para darle la bienvenida hoy desde Nueva York tenemos a Elias Guerra, fundador de Pop Wallet. ¿Cómo estás, Elias? Buenos días.
1: Yeah, muy bien. ¿Cómo, cómo How, estás?
2: Todo bien, todo bien. How are things in New York?
1: Ah, uh, things are good. You know, we're um, post uh, uh, president elect Joe Biden. <laughs> a lot of celebrations this past week weekend uh, here in, in Manhattan, which you know leans very. Democratic. Um, I think that there's a certain, you know, feeling in the city. Um, it's an interesting time, you know, with the pandemic going on with the election. Uh, there's a lot happening here in New York. So uh, but for the most part, yeah, all as all well. All is well.
2: It seems everything seems promising, and apparently we got a vaccine in the pipeline that that, that looks really promising. So that's yeah. it's good news. It's good news in all fronts. But in the meantime, while well, we gotta remind everybody to to stay home if you if you can stay healthy, uh, as the cases are just you know skyrocketing. So that's that's mm-hmm. also the, the not so good news. But let, let, let's let's do our share. Yeah. But Elias, so so tell me, I, I know you are from Cal originally from California, but tell us your story with uh where, where where are you from?
1: I am, I'm a California boy. Although interestingly, um, you know, I've been in New York November first of this year was my ten year anniversary in New York. Oh, and wow. I think it's it's 10 years where you can officially call yourself a, a New Yorker. A New Yorker. So I just, yeah. But <laughs> I'll always identify California um, and really Southern Californian. Um, I grew up in uh, a town. It was a town then. It's a city now called Chula Vista. Yeah. Um, you know, this is uh, right in between San Diego and and Tijuana. We um, Actually, uh, jokingly, I would refer to it as Chulawana. um So Chulawana. close to the border. Yeah, Chulawana <laughs> is my is my hometown um and i spent the first 16 years of my life you know the formative years uh you know through the through the 80s there in uh in chula vista um and then actually moved um when i was in high school midway through high school to orange county and, and finished high school in orange county um and then you know i did undergraduate in los angeles and business school in Los Angeles so when people ask me where I'm where I'm from you know it really it is Southern California California identifies that uh, kind of pan SoCal if you will
2: yeah yeah yeah. wow and so close to the border I mean you got to see you know um, both sides uh, I imagine
1: yeah quite literally you know and it, it was an interesting time I mean growing up in that location during this time I mean you know I was you know, date myself but um, you know in elementary school and junior high and In the 80s. And, uh, you know, this was Ronald Reagan's America and uh, Pete Wilson's California, you know, and myself, you know, I identify Latino, but I'm half gringo as well. And so growing up in that environment and that location during that time, kind of thinking about, you know, what is what are the implications, you know, for me, for my heritage, for my culture? Um, what, how do I identify uh, and not just uh, myself at that time, but, you know, the people that um, were around me as well. And I think, you know, being so close to the border um, and such a large Mexican population and so much, much Mexican culture, but, you know, part Gringo, as I mentioned, but, you know, even my own uh, Latino heritage being, you know, a generation, uh, a couple of generations and, Uh, from you know Arizona and uh, California, then a generation before that in northern Mexico, from northern Mexico, and then a generation before that from Spain. You're like, what? What am I? (laughs)
2: What do I call myself? It's what we call un poco de todo.
1: It really is, (laughs) and um, you know, and you know, the term Latinx, I think, is um, a relatively new term, and I think it's you know, some it's controversial. To some, um, and some, I'm one of the people that just embrace it because that kind of is, you know, how I've always identified where that X is just a a variable that kind of represents the the broader culture and community, which I think is, as an adult, I more closely identify with now um, and have over the years this progression than I did as a child growing up then and there. Um, you know, I it's,
2: see. It's, that, that, that's interesting. Yeah, because as, as you can see, it's Latino. I mean, th- this this was before the whole Latin unit started really getting into um, uh, I- into the culture here, and maybe you know, being first a uh, first generation uh, fresh. Well, I'm not fresh of the boat. I've been here for quite a long time. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's it's refreshing to to hear that, you know, how you identify. So it's, it's not only about gender. It's about, you know, who, you know, it's just the X encompass, you know, all this, you know, where am I coming from? You know, the long heritage, um, yeah, gender, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, yeah. it's one of the you things know, and, that, and, the, yeah, that we tr- we'll try to still understand.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, and I think it's, you know, it's it's you know, constantly Evolving, um, you know, and hopefully continuing to put a, a finer point or definition so that it is, you know, inclusive. But you know, we talk about Latinos, Latinas, Latinx, right? It's it's people of you know Mexican heritage and Puerto Rican and Correct. Dominican, and you know, I mean, there's so many differences. Yeah, it's funny too. We're just talking a little bit about the election, right? And like the Latino vote. <laughs> I mean, what is that? That's, yeah. What the heck is that? It's like saying, you know, what? what's the, the brown haired people vote, right? Or like, you know, the the blonde haired people. I mean, it's, it could be anything, right? I mean, you can't just like, uh, ident- it is not a monolithic group at all, like this pan-cultural uh, term that identifies us. And then within that, you know, how does an individual mm-hmm identify um, you know and, and part of my own identity with the, the latin culture um you know has to do with growing up at that that time and place where you know there was an element of escapism too right you know i mentioned ronald reagan's america and people yeah. since california and if people are familiar with you know that what that climate was like um for a lot of youth in that location there was this idea of You know, how do I, how do I kind of escape this? How do I get away from the border, right? And further integrate and assimilate. And, you know, what is the effect of that on my own? self-identity so uh, again very much you know probably i know this isn't the therapist's couch but we can probably (laughs) have a long a long conversation about what does one go through and kind of wrestling with that uh you know
2: that wow but it's funny you mentioned pete Pete wilson i mean there's going to be a lot of millennials that have no idea who that who that was i mean they were either were they even born probably not
1: no i don't think no no. they were born. yeah. Yeah. Like right at the end. Right. And that's fine. You know, I mean, these, these things, you know, times change. Um, but,
2: and, and see how fast it changed. So that's what I wanted to say. I mean, it's for, for us, it's just, you know, half a generation. And now we went from one extreme to the other. in yeah. California, at least just in California.
1: It's beautiful to see, you know, and it's, it's, it's the number um, of people, the growth of our community, of our population here in the U S, but then just also like the influence um, you know, it's a journey, but the influence that, uh, you know, people of, uh, you know, Latino heritage are, um, you know, just garnering, um, you know, in this country. Um, so it's it's very much, it's fascinating to watch. It's very much a movement that is in progress right now. It's an awakening. It Yeah. I mean, I I think absolutely. Right. And (laughs) awakening, opening some eyes again, just I hate to keep going back, but it's just so fresh, the context of, uh, you know, this historic election, but the role that, uh, you know, the Latin community played in electing, you know, our next president um, it is, it is an awakening and maybe it's one that's long overdue. Um, And, you know, hopefully it is one where, um, you know, those in power don't fall back asleep, right? That the awakening persists, wow. the eyes well, remain open, right? And so that we don't have uh, to take a step back.
2: Um, well, and, and you know what's happening here in Oregon, you know, a very wide state. Um, we, we, we always, you know, lag behind in the country in certain progressive measures, except drugs. Because we just legalize every <laughs> single drug now. De- de- right. Decriminalized. Not, not, yeah. But, uh, in the past couple of years, we, we've we're seeing a wave of Latinx uh, represent you know people uh, running for uh, for office, some successfully, some not. But uh, you know that that's the whole notion of going for Congress. We have the first Congresswoman in in, this, in the city of Portland now, the first Latin Latinx woman, just elected in this cycle. So we have representatives. So so the, again, it's just like an awakening. And say you know what, we're not only going to vote; we want to be there. We, we really want to sit at a table
1: yeah and it's beautiful to see across the country right here in new york we have aoc right and like the political influence um you know that is just um that she's demonstrating and you start to see like these seeds that are planted and, and it's really it's growing and it's necessary right i mean it's 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 this process by which the community just gains more power more influence um, hopefully more economic power yes. and strength too, which is you know, which is a reason why I started uh, the company I did not too
2: long well, ago. And, and, and that's what I want to get into now. So now, now that we realize that we have a, what, uh, $1.3 trillion uh, economic power, or maybe <laughs> some of those we don't realize. The moment we realize the that power, that's true power. We mentioned it in, in several podcasts here. The moment we as a blog realize we, we can we can move and not just by voting but by purchasing because remember by, by by guiding our purchases that's how we also guide policy in a lot of cases we can inflict economic pain to those that are against us or you know
1: yeah so, that's but, right i mean money money talks and money uh, talks. you know in this country uh it, that's been the case for a long time um and you know something that you know that we think about is this generational wealth that for so long has been the domain of you know white men from generation to generation and passing that um on you know within their their own lineage lineages and and how do you uh, you know <laughs> coming from another country uh, first generation or a couple of generations removed without that type of wealth without that type of um you know, generational wealth, how do you break through, right? And how do you crack it? And I think that that's why, you know, America has been so appealing for so many for so long, right? Is the quintessential land of opportunity, um, despite so many challenges like, you know, systemic racism. And um, I mean, just uh, some of the um, horrific (laughs) elements of our history, um, distant history, but also recent history. But despite, that the opportunity to, to overcome um, and achieve and garner success and, and then hopefully, you know, kind of change that that ratio. So it's not just white men passing on money to you know their white sons, but it's you know other people, other genders, other um, you know ethnicities,
2: ethnicities, yeah,
1: cultures, yeah, that uh, they you know can play can play the same game and um, succeed.
2: Absolutely, but so so now you uh, you're a new founder you know you, you you came from the corporate world the marketing yeah. so this is why, you know what we, we want to geek out you know you just uh really you know try to extract some of the knowledge that you have garnered in, in the marketing you, you know big corporations you know so how do you make that jump you know from being um uh you know working in this large environments into like you know my, I'm going to start my you know my own thing where did that come from where did the idea yeah. for pub wallet
1: yeah. I mean, you know, I think that the idea for Pop PopWallet, very different from where this entrepreneurial spirit came from, right? And I think that this entrepreneurial spirit, like the desire to do what, you know, I set upon doing, I, that's been in me for, for as long as I can remember. Um, and it manifested itself in very different ways uh, when I was younger and throughout my career. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in the corporate world, Um, Always in technology, always in software, either building technology or selling technology or doing partnerships. Um, And for some big companies like from IBM and and Yahoo, uh, a company that's now part of Thomson Reuters, but then also part of smaller companies too. And, you know, I always felt throughout, you know, the earlier part of my career that I always wanted to do more, you know, that I always wanted to, but there was always, there's always somebody in my hierarchy, whether it's my manager or my my manager's manager. Somebody saying no, right? Like pump the brakes. Okay. And you know, and so you know, and a certain type of person I think is going to say that's great, right? Let me, you know, there's these procedures and processes in place, and there's a structure, and I'm going to follow that, and I'm going to be a good corporate citizen. And uh, that wasn't me. Like I always struggled a bit in that. That corporate environment because I just always wanted to do more um and you know this is where i feel that anybody if you ever feel that there's a ceiling or that you're not fulfilling your potential or, or you're in an environment where you're being stifled and you feel like mm-hmm. you could do more like start a company right because there is nothing that will test you as much as starting a company from scratch and building it to something, right? And you talk about you know really testing your own metal and capability. Th- there's no better way, in my opinion.
2: Love it. I love that statement. But yeah, and, and recently I came across you know uh, I don't know it was just a, a headline of an Anderson. I think it was an Inc. magazine. It's like it's easy to start a company. It's much more difficult to to uh, grow one. So, I mean, yeah, anyone can say, Hey, I have an idea and <laughs> I'm going to go this. But how do you take it from zero, from an, uh, a name into something viable?
1: Yeah. I remember joking a few years ago, or see, I mean, it was something online where it was like, you know, it was like, what's the path, you know, the, to becoming a CEO? And I was like, well, just be a CEO, just call yourself a CEO, right? Yeah. You know, anybody, you just incorporate a company. Um, you know, call yourself CEO and there you've done it much different from how do you raise capital? How do you hire employees? How do you get customers, right? To spend money. How do you fire employee? Yeah, that's never a fun thing to do. Right. But it's, it's necessary. It's a necessary part of, of growth. Um, and so growing a company, um, especially going from, you know, Zero to one was always a very influential book um, for me, and Peter Till, You know, politics yeah. aside, again another controversial figure, but that idea of building something from nothing, yeah, and doing it. Yeah, you know, how do you do that, right? Very different. zero to one very different from one to two, right, or one
2: exactly to 10. The first step is the most difficult one.
1: Yeah, yeah, and building something that's sustainable as well, right? Not just taking that first step, but doing so in a way that begets a second, a third, and fourth step as well.
2: And so, so for you, you know, how was that first step? They said, you know, you're comfortable, you're you're making good money in in corporate, you know, so you got your grind. So after a few years, and then you decided to say, like, no, I'm going to leave that you know, bi-weekly paycheck or whatever. And yeah. and I'm going to start something with all these uncertainties behind.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, I was really inspired by a lot of people that I saw in my industry. Um, these were people who uh, left corporate jobs, raised some capital, built um, wonderful companies. Um, and in many cases had these amazing outcomes these amazing financial outcomes the kind of outcomes where the founders create generational wealth right this generational wealth that um, that I was talking about and you know I saw that happening around me and you know recognize like well, there's nothing special about these people that would suggest that they could do this that I couldn't do it right and I was a little bit older like when I was you know I mentioned this entrepreneurial spirit always within me um, you know, and I think that the stereotype of the, you know, the entrepreneur, you know, that, uh, uh, you know, 21-year-old Mark Zuckerberg out of Facebook or something, right? But, you know, the data shows most, you know, entrepreneurs are in their early 40s, right? And I was yeah. like 40 when I was having these thoughts of like, there's nothing that special about them that suggests they could, but I can't. And so there was an element of just taking a leap of faith and saying, you know, if not now, when, um, and of course having an idea, right. And I'm like, you know, you can't just yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Can you
2: just I, just fly into the abyss. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah right. We I mean, have to have like, you know, what is that plane going to look like that you're going to build as you, you know, jump into the abyss. So, um, you know, it was really a confluence of events where it just felt the, the time is right. And, uh, started.
2: That's fantastic. So, I mean, what 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 is what is Pop Wallet in in an elevator pitch?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I love talking about Pop Wallet. It's much easier for me to talk about Pop Wallet than it is for me to talk about myself, right? I don't know if people. It's, it's I think always it's hard. hard. This,
2: we share that too. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, but Pop Wallet. So we're a software company. We call ourselves a, a mobile wallet customer experience management platform. But the big idea, the idea today, is the same as. Um, you know, four years ago when we started, is that mobile wallets like Apple Wallet and Google Pay, these are transformative Mm -hmm. platforms and and transformative in that they change the way that consumers, that people interact with the world around them. And what we saw in these mobile wallets was the ability to do payments, right? It's kind of what they're known for the wallet on your phone, on your mobile device, but they each supported this content side as well. It wasn't just about payments, but about these things that what's the other stuff that goes in your wallet, right? And these other things are your coupons and loyalty cards and your gift cards and, and your tickets. And, you know, we thought of it, you know, having come from, you know, and my experience immediately before starting the company was with a mobile um, company called Flurry and Flurry is a mobile data and app analytics company. That um, you know, I'd actually worked at Yahoo for a few years, left to join Flurry. This was the earlier part of the last decade. And then in a couple of years after Flurry, Yahoo acquired us. And so it went back to Yahoo as okay. boomerang. Um, but that was part of Yahoo's effort to really catch up in the mobile space. And what Flurry was, is think about Google Analytics, but for the burgeoning app space. And as smartphones proliferated, as mobile apps proliferated. Uh, we had an SDK for S, uh, for analytics that also proliferated. So by the time Yahoo acquired us and went back to Yahoo, uh, we touched about one and a half billion global devices, right? a huge portion of all. So we just saw a ton of data about what yeah. worked in mobile and what didn't work. And it's just very clear that mobile, and you think about the past decade of mobile really being about apps right in the app paradigm right. and that's been great for games and social networks and utilities but we just saw an opportunity for some of the biggest brands in the world some of the biggest marketers this procter and gambles and unilevers and and L'Oreal's and mars and nestle's of the world to engage in this mobile paradigm and think about it if you're you know, your, your Snickers, right? Your Mars Snickers, your candy bar, people, they're not, probably, they're not going to download your Snickers app, no, right? Like that's just not something that suits that paradigm, but you know, uh, uh, free Snickers with, you know, a free Snickers gift card, right? Or um, a Tide laundry detergent coupon or these other lightweight content experiences that really the mobile wallets lend themselves to that's where we saw an opportunity and really um, an opening in the market, right, where there wasn't a company that was approaching this platform with a solution in the way that we felt that we could and, uh, and ultimately bring value to, to the clients that we serve.
2: Okay. Uh, Elias, vamos a hacer una pequeña pausa. Let's make a, a quick break, really, just to pay for our advertisers. And we'll be right back.
1: This hour of the Startup Radio Network is supported by Bridges to Change. They strive to have everyone leaving their organization with stable housing, social support, sustainable employment, education, access to healthcare, family engagement, and goals for the future. To get involved, donate, or to get help, make sure to visit www.bridgestochange.com.
2: So, very interesting because you know we're in, the, um, you know, we're actually Personally, we're working on a project very, you know, similar. We're well, not similar; it's geared towards what you are. And I think you know, there's, you know, th- this is a great space, you know, to get to know each other, get inspired with other uh, founders. But this is the first time where I see, like, huh, oh my gosh! I literally after the show, I have a conversation with a retailer in, in Mexico where we're trying to uh, create a, a brand new product of what we do, and I see, oh my god, we could totally pair it with what you do. Uh, just right now, but like, oh, look, and and this will be ideal because it's it's the largest uh, chain of um, uh, convenience store in Mexico. It's a corporation. Is it um, Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> well, maybe, maybe not. May, may, mm,
2: yeah. Maybe, maybe. Naming names, but yeah, so we're working, <laughs> we're working some, with some products uh, and, and just developing. So that's my next call. And it's exciting yeah. because like, look, look, I just found it's almost like surrender pity. And we, we could talk about offline, uh, 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 you know, but uh, the confluence of the payment, the, the payment side, which is us, and the marketing yeah. side, which is, you know, the, the things that we talked about and with them. Like, look what we're opening for you. Oh, you know? So
1: powerful. It's so powerful. And, um, you know, for retailers, it, it is really retailers and then consumer products companies where I think that yeah. the value proposition The strongest, and that strength lies in combining the payments with the experience, and doing so from the mobile device. Right, everybody. I mean, mobile people are addicted to our mobile phones. Right, we check 150 times a day. It's the last thing we put down at night. The first thing we pick up in the mornings, and it's what we take with us everywhere. Right, and it's increased. It's become that interface between people and the world around them and then you know we talk about how the world has changed you know since the pandemic this own uh, you know idea of shopping and being contactless right yeah. and not having to touch anything and so all of a sudden you see these trends all converging into this space which is that you know for us it's that mobile wallet on the smartphone that just enables people to interact with the world around them in the way that they want to in a way that's safe Inconvenient,
2: absolutely. You, you, you just give us the elevator picture why we do. There you go. So, there so you it, go. It, you just imagine, you know, you know the, the 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 migrant that's sending money back home. You know, they have to go to a store right now. They have to, you know, give their money. Then they then they take a big commission out of their paycheck. You know, the the evil companies that send money who won't mention names, but mm-hmm. then they had to send their relative to another location to retrieve the money. Then they also get another haircut right there. They get another commission. And now you have uh, a bullseye in your back in, you know, in in those communities because, you know, the (laughs) the security is not, it's pretty, uh, it's very lax. Right. So what do we want to do with this? Is like, imagine a world where, you know, I can just do this from my phone right now and I can send you $20 right now. And then you can go with your phone and just go, boom, pay at the cashier. No more wallets, no more, no more handling cash, no more touching anything. In, in the times of pandemic or even better if I can do from here, pay all your bills back home.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's powerful. And that's, you know, that's servicing people in the way that they want to be serviced and enabling the brands and, and retailers to to leverage that and, and take advantage of that. And it is where, you know, mobile is fascinating because it is this new paradigm. It is this new platform that you know founders like us and, and many others um we can cut we can step into it and we can build yeah. something that's new and innovative and kind of and change the game right and absolutely you, you know and create that going back to you know creating those opportunities to create something new and novel but that ultimately could create that generational wealth for us and our absolutely and our and yeah. our families right
2: absolutely so uh, you know in, in In all this process, you know you you had this did you ever have an aha moment in in your desk and uh, Yahoo or whatever it was, and they said like this, this is the time. so or when how was that transition? Did it was it very abrupt, or was it like just escalating towards, I'm gonna build this on the side, and then when it's the time when the time is right, and i'll I'll exit, yeah,
1: uh, you know in terms of starting, like what yeah. was that? Yeah, yeah, like the actual
2: the zero to one, like the actual yeah. okay, this is happening.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a process, you know, and I wouldn't say that there was like one specific moment, um, but as a series of moments and part of it, you know, Pop, up, we're a software company, right? We're a technology company and I've worked in the technology industry, but I'm not a builder, right? Like I can tell you where the button should go and what it should look like. I can't build the button, right? And yeah. so early on, I was like, well, I'm going to build a technology company. It needs to be with a technologist. And so it was a matter of finding and it was fortunate to have an amazing co-founder, a brilliant CTO um, by the name of Wes Biggs that we'd worked with each other back in the same small software company 20 years ago in Los Angeles and had, you know, continued to kept, you know, keep in touch to our uh, careers. And when it was time to start the company, um, you know, he was the person I wanted to do it with. And I think that, you know, for each uh, person's entrepreneur journey, I think, you know, what am I building here? do I need some help? Right. Yeah. Sometimes. Yes. Sometimes no. In my case, it was absolutely yes. Uh, and so that was part of that process. And I, and I say, well, you know, if the timing didn't work out or if it wasn't something that he could do at the same time, and you know, would we still have gotten started then? You know, possibly it, it would have looked different. The timing might've been different. Um, but even after that, it's like, you know, raising some capital, getting some interest, getting a, getting a customer, and yeah. you know, it's it's a series of events that I think lead to this place of no return, right? And that's how I looked at it. Is where I was just, you know, so I was com- so committed um, that I couldn't go back, and I actually tried to do that purposely early early in the process right and and you know it's like you know i hear this all the time people have an idea for a company like well i don't want to like talk about the idea and I'll keep it a secret i'm like nobody cares about your idea just tell the tell the idea tell the world yeah. the idea and put it out there yeah. right and your idea could be for a company it could be like i want to write this book but i don't want to tell anybody what the book is going to be about it's a secret no just tell people what the book is about and if they can copy whatever it is you're doing based on what you describe, well, it wasn't going to be a bestseller anyway, right? It wasn't going to be a multi-billion dollar company anyway. It was that easy to replicate. You have to have something unique and special in that. And and to me, there's an element of putting it out there and committing um, not only to yourself, but to the world, to those around you, right? To your friends, to your family, and saying, I'm doing this thing. And knowing that by putting it out there, Right, if you retrench on that, or if you fail, right, and you know failure, there's something to look at through a few different lenses, right? Some good, some yeah. bad, but uh, it's that commitment that I think is necessary to really to propel yourself forward.
2: Absolutely, no, and it, so you started the company w- with your co-founder um you know self-funded and at which point do you say like you know what we we got something here? we need we need money to keep going was that early on did you know uh, because i know you guys already raised significant amount of capital but how i know that process takes a long time so
1: day one day one i was like man i know some vcs i have good experience i'm just gonna go raise some i'm just gonna go raise a couple million bucks (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah. this is the <laughs> naivete of often of a first-time founder. I'm just going to go raise a few million dollars. No, no, so it might take a couple weeks, a couple months. Um, and you know, again, that was part of that that process, that journey of getting to the point where, well, it wasn't a few million, but that is, you know, somebody said this is interesting. I like what you're talking about. Here's twenty-five thousand dollars, right? And then the next person to say here's 25,000. And then the next person is say, and I'm talking about over a period of like six to nine months while we're ruminating on this idea, kind of like planning it out. And then the next person, well, here's $50,000, but I have these friends, you know, who, and just slowly building up and trying to gain some momentum from earlier investors and that next investor, and just getting to a point where you can say, okay, here's something that we can really start with right largely from yeah. angels right and and we um relatively early on you know we did a uh, an accelerator um program which um you know can be expensive in terms of the cost of capital but there's so much benefit um you know and i always think about i've always been less concerned about what i give up and more interested in what i get at what the a end gain. yeah right? yeah and so like if yeah i have to give up you know chunk of early equity but all of these benefits and privileges are bestowed upon me as a result, and that increases the odds of a successful outcome. A success, yeah. To me, that's that's a no brainer. And so we raised some capital, but we were always a company. And I think this, you know, comes back to, you know, being of of a certain heritage and not coming from from privilege. You know, if you go back to my days in Chula Vista. I was raised by my grandmother. I mean, there were periods where you know we had government uh, assistance, and I was fortunate to have have a strong family of aunts and uncles and, and cousins, but we weren't wealthy. Like right? there wasn't money there. Right. And even going through putting myself through undergrad and business, you know, I was always paying for it. A lot of times paying for it later. Yeah. right? Like you do like college, you know, with a layaway plan. And then you realize, Oh my <laughs> God, I'm saddled with this debt. And uh, you know, how do you take that and build? So my point is fast forwarding to uh, the fundraising process you know, we didn't have these deep pocketed networks to tap into. Um, We have always very much been a, that's interesting. Show me. Right. And then we do it and we execute and we show a little something like, Oh, here's a little more, show me some more. And so even, you know, we've raised uh, 4 million of, of capital. Um, We're privileged to be at the point now where we could raise more, now but early on if we wanted but early on right we were always trying to get more just to get some fuel into it and it was a series of fundraising events just to get to that to that yeah initial when i say initial it was kind of a tranched yeah four million dollars which we call our seed capital and now as the world has changed and we're enabling these contactless customer experiences at scale now it's off to the races but getting to that point was uh, was really difficult
2: no, I be- and, and, and that's why, you know, I, I think that's a misconception on a lot of uh, people. that's like, well, they raised $4 million or $6 million, and they think it was just like one said, somebody wrote a check, and then, boom, uh, Elías se puso a trabajar. No, 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 this, this, this took years, and it was like you said, it started at twenty five and you get a little bit more and you get to another 25 and then it transformed to 50 and then into a hundred. And then, you know, you you keep building, but that takes uh, a lot of time and a lot of, a lot of effort. I mean, it's a full-time job yeah. just to raise the capital.
1: It is, and, and it's on top of your full-time job of building the business. And I think that that, yeah. you know, that speaks to like work ethic. And I think that people are successful in this space um, or, you know, starting technology companies are those that have a strong work ethic and can just, you know, the way we catch up is just by, you know, outworking the other people. And, you know, it might sound trite to say, but, you know, I would put as much effort into getting a $25,000 check as maybe a person of privilege who went to the finest private high schools and then, you know, Stanford or Harvard, and then they come out and, you know, the trust kind of, you know, seeds. Yeah. Yeah initial capital. I'm like, well, you know, I worked just as hard for that $25,000 as the other person worked for that two and a half million million. And, you know, and not, not to begrudge um, those people who have had it easier, but just recognizing that we're not all starting from the same
0: place, right?
1: This race (laughs) run. And we have to look at ways, how do we, how do we catch up? And uh, a tool, that I think that we have in our toolkit is uh, work ethic.
2: Absolutely. So, so where you are in this process right now? So you guys raise capital, you guys are growing and you're, you're doing well because again, you know, with the pandemic has accelerated the e-commerce. So it's, it's been a, you know, it's been a good year for technology. Um, yeah. And where are you guys at at this moment?
1: Yeah. I mean, so continuing to, to grow and to develop, um, as I mentioned earlier, we're fortunate we don't have to raise capital right now um we're we have some tailwinds in terms of uh, and frankly these were trends that were already happening right Mm -hmm. the shift of paper and plastic experiences to digital right and and to mobile this was already happening look no further than um asia right china specific like most commerce has been transacted through the mobile device there overall so we were catching up Um, so, but it's all acceler- accelerated with, with the pandemic and there's no way going back. So for us, our focus is on working with our existing customers, which are typically um, enterprise, upper mid-market, CPG and retail companies, um, continuing okay. to service them, continuing to acquire new ones uh, and growing just you know organically um, because we're, we've done the hard work to get to this point where we can do so, Um, you know, when we think about raising capital, you know, early on, you know, having to do it, um, you know, from our, our respective starting points, right? The terms aren't always the best, right? The dilution's not always the best. And so as you think about, should we add $10 million right now? What, at what cost? Exactly. And, you know, and what do we have to give up to get there. And, and not only like what costs, but like what, you know, what kind of control do you have it's to give It's more about up? the control. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, right now, and especially in our industry enterprise SaaS, the value compounds over time. Right. And so, yeah. you know, if you're, if you're building something and selling something in year one, you probably haven't built anything that unique or differentiated or valuable in market, right? It takes a while to build something that, I mean, because there's a lot of capital, a lot of technology companies out there. It takes a while to build something that is novel enough and that customers will support um, financially, right? That they'll invest in. And, uh, you know, to get to that, to that point, um, you know, it, it, it takes a while, it takes a while.
2: No, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> believe me, you know, we, we've been in that process. Yeah. Um, but yeah. No, so uh, w- one of the other things that I wanted to ask you is that like you mentioned early, you know, in in your career when you were still in corporate, you had all those voices that say, "Nah, why are you going to do that? What other pieces uh, pieces of advice have you gotten, you know, that have been right, and which ones have you like I mean, I wish I didn't have to listen to that."
1: Yeah, I mean, advice—it's always such a, a double edged sword, <laughs> right? I mean, everybody—it yeah. it just comes with buying you know, even. You know, right now, like, is you know, I speak to the audience here. I mean, this is my journey, my story, right? And and what I hope is that some people that they can take some inspiration from the fact that um, anybody can do it, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. like, anybody can do it just with the right with the right uh, fortitude and willpower. Um, but you know, advice that um, that I received kind of early on was very philosophical and I, I, it's funny because uh i i internalized it in a way that wasn't that obvious to me at the time but it became more obvious to me last year and and, and i'll tell you why i was i have a young daughter and i mean that's you know i'm a father that's um, really how i identify mostly is, is as a dad and, we were reading this book called Wolf Pack by Abby Wambach, you know, the star female the, s- uh, forward for the U.S. Women's National Team. And in the line, in the book, there's this line and it almost, be- it has become a mantra for me and my, my young daughter. And I tell her this, and the line is, you know, a girl who never gives up can never fail, right? A girl who never gives up can never fail. But what's the name and of the book again? Yeah, the book is called Wolfpack. And it's Wolfpack. a quick, yeah, quick read, very inspirational, um, cool. really interesting. And it's it's full of a lot of these types of uh, mantras, if you will. And it's something that was like, you know, I read it. And like, this is very familiar to me, right? And it was based on advice had been given early in my career, which was around like, you want to do something, don't let anybody tell you no, right? And you can succeed, right? If you just don't quit. Yeah. I mean, just don't, don't quit. quit. It, yeah. And so I think that that probably for me has been, it was, just, it was just really interesting encountering it again in those specific words. Of course, the person who originally told it to me said, didn't say a girl who can, you know, um, but reading that in Abby Wambach's words as I read this book to my daughter really resonated, but you know, to me, and that's, you know, that's the other side of failure as well. Right. I mean, we talk about, failure and being afraid to fail and is it good to fail and um and i think it is at sometimes in some situations but i'm not one of those people who says um failure is good it's okay to always fail it's okay to fail in some things yeah but it's not okay to fail in other things like i can't i can't afford to fail at being a good dad right a good father a good good citizen, Human. Good, yeah. good CEO. Yeah. I mean a good, you know, and I can't let pop wallet fail. Right. And you know, that's just been my, per- but so, but we can fail. And I encourage our team. I encourage my daughter. I said, if you're not failing, you're not trying, right. If you're not failing, you're not, try- you're not trying, you're not trying hard enough. Yeah. You know, and I, I don't care whether it's my daughter trying to do a cartwheel and, you know, can't do it at first and falls over right? Or, you know, somebody on our team trying to, you know, build a new capability for, for a customer, right? Or trying to close that, that last deal with a quarter, like try. In in these contexts, failure is okay in the near term, right? in kind of that micro sense, but as the whole, right? It's, it's not acceptable. And that's where you just have to take a long view of things. And in the long term, it's not okay to fail, in my opinion. It's not okay for Pop Wallet to fail. And again, I know, like with startups, a lot of people say, like, you know, grow fast, burn through your money, fail fast, or grow to a billion dollars. Yeah. I'm like, easy, you know, we're going to get there, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're just have a, a certain pace, but we're going to get there. And we're going to have little failures along the way, but a big successful outcome at the end of it.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and I think that's a lot of difference between the hyper capitalistic view. Of the Silicon, hey, fail fast, fail often, like you said, burn through the money, and and if it do, if it works, fantastic, and if it doesn't, versus the more the Latin, like you know what? No, I wanna, yeah, I'm gonna fail, I'm gonna learn, iterate, and keep moving, paso a pasito, but always forward.
1: Totally, Taking- yeah, and you look at like, where does the money come from? A lot of these startups, right, that that do fail, fail fast, flame mm-hmm. out with big money that comes into it. I'm like. Hey man, I know, I remember going to the grocery store with my, with my grandmother and, you know, her pulling out some food stamps, right? Like I know the value of a dollar. That's how Mm -hmm. I was raised. And the idea, the idea that people have entrusted me and our team with $4 million. Right. And that's just today. I mean, like, man, like I, when I was younger, I never would have thought that people would entrust me with managing that kind of, Capital, right? And even now, and not to you know sound hubristic, but right, there's more capital. That's there's a lot of capital that's Mm -hmm. out there, and we're privileged to be um, you know in a place where we we can pick and pick and choose. But uh, the idea of even losing that four million dollars, like no, it's just not an option.
2: It's not an option. Yeah, yeah. No, I I get it. It's it's a big baggage to have, but it's also a huge motivator. Yeah, to to outperform, like you said, outperform the rest. Yeah. And
1: it's the way we, we Yeah. That's how we catch up.
2: You know, exactly. that's how that's how we catch up. Well, Elias, I mean, I, I'm just looking at the clock, like, wow, I mean we could continue for hours, you know, grab yeah. a beer, a virtual beer at least for now. <laughs> but so so tell us, you know, where do we find Pop Waller? What do we find you in, in social media and what would be your ask? What what do you need right now in terms of the startup? You know, your what where are you at?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, we you know, we're trying to grow the team, so looking for specific roles and sales, client success, senior developers, product management, I mean, um, always good, good people. Um, So that's first and foremost. And then um, customers, you know, our customers were a B2B software platform, right? So end users won't really see pop wallet. Yeah. um, But those people who, you know, buy Nestle products, or, you know, Mars products or shop it, you know, buy shoes at DSW, or like we are um, so it's really retailers and consumer product goods companies. So if anybody is a decision maker and is responsible for customer engagement, customer acquisition, customer retention, we have an innovative platform that can really enable that um, in, a, in a new and, and novel way. And so, um, yeah, our ask would be, hey, any potential customers out there, you can find us popwallet.com is a URL. Um, you can find us on social media, just searching Pop wallet,
2: Pop. Uh, but yeah, we'd, lo- we'd love to hear from people out there. Okay, and and I'm going to look in, in into a roster, you know, for a former guests, you know, who has worked in retail, who who can have those um, open, in, in, even including investors, because I, we know some of them come uh, from big corporations as well that can open. Um, I, I know a particular one; it just came to my mind, Lisa Feria from Straight Dog Capital. Okay. She came from um, she came from retail, and now she's a VC, uh, so she, she she may have all that. Uh, all, all, all those connections still
1: fantastic and i do yet, you know and that name right peria in bc like i love hearing more you know Latina latino names in venture capital like that's yeah. this is a wave right that we just have to continue um it's good to see right starting companies investing in companies and just creating this virtuous circle within you know within our, our community so it's great
2: Well, and and it started with people like you, honestly, because people will see you. And and just like you said at the beginning of the program, like if Elias can do it, what can I?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, but it's, you know, just to push back on that a little bit, it started with people before me who helped me. Yeah. Right. People of a common heritage who saw some potential, maybe not much product, but yet they said, well, let's make a bet and kind of paying it forward in a way. Right. But they were probably you know, paying it forward based on help that they got early on. Right. And so that's what we can hope to do is continue, you know, to not only um, earn our own success, but just give back to the community. Right. And, and encourage that next generation um, and whether it's that next uh, startup um, founder or uh, young employee, right. Mm-hmm. that you can kind of cultivate and nurture so that someday they'll be on their own journey as well.
2: All right, Elias. Well, it's been great, you know, having you. And the invitation is open, so you can come back and and tell us, you know, more successes. You know, what's what's after in Pub Social. You know, we love having return guests come coming and telling us what's happened after a year or a few months. So, uh, and 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 I'll be I'll be reaching you because it's uh, it's certainly very interesting what you guys are doing. And I think there might be a a fit. You know, who knows to to work together and make some interest as well.
1: Yeah, look forward to those conversations. And uh, thanks again for having me. This was a lot of fun. So, so really appreciate
2: it. Happy Friday, everyone. Thank you for joining us in Latino Founder Hour, episode 137. Thank you, Elias. Have a good Friday. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to the Latino Founder Hour podcast.
0: El programa Latino Founder Hour es grabado en las instalaciones de NetSpace en el estudio Bigfoot Podcast en la hermosa ciudad de Portland.